job at actually sitting uh, hot, hot seat here taking all the questions because, my goodness, there were some really good questions, very curly questions, and he handled them beautifully. And I must commend him for that. But today's series that we're going to watch, and it will only be this Sunday, folks, for the next three weeks. We've got two other speakers coming for our following weeks. But today, he's given us a series which is titled, as I said before, The World's Problems and Its Situation. So we'll sit back and, and enjoy this segment uh, of the life series that he delivered. Uh, and then once that's done, I'll be back up. Enjoy. The world, one of the problems of the world, or else we could be here all night just on that. But is there anybody who discussed that on their tables that have anything they'd like to share? Most of us have our own views of what's wrong with the world um, and who's wrong with the world and those things, even if we're perhaps too polite to say it. But did I see a hand over here? Yeah, that's a very good answer. Violence is a big part of what's wrong with the world. Climate change, yes. Yes, that's a, that's a good one to, to bring up. That's, that's a very big one that a lot of people think that's what's wrong with the world. That's, that's the big issue. Social media is everything wrong with the world. Yeah, yeah, that's... And, and with all of these, there are some who are strongly for and some who would be strongly against that, aren't there? Did I see a hand over here? COVID. COVID is everything that's wrong with the world. Yeah? Yeah, I don't think too many people would argue against that one, that COVID is a wonderful thing that we should all be happy about. I want to thank you for coming along to life. As we see in the tagline, it's about looking into life with Jesus. And so... As we've been going through the series, we've been looking at some of these big life questions and we've been looking at what are the answers that Jesus gives because uh, those of us who are here at this church, we believe he gives pretty good answers to these big life questions and ones that we've uh, come to agree with, come to believe in. And so we want to have a look at today at what Jesus said was wrong with the world and what was the solution to it, what will make it right. When we ask the question, what's wrong with the world, we get very different answers based on people's perspectives, on uh, the things that have happened in their life, the, the way that they were brought up, the people that they've come in contact with. And from uh, all of those factors, we get a perspective on life where we can only see things one way. And how many women do you see in that picture? You may need to be able to see the screen to be able to chime in. Oh, I hear a couple of ones. I hear a couple of twos. Two. It's all a question of perspective, of what we can see. I'm glad some people see two, because I've been poring over that, and I can only see the one, but obviously I'm the one who's... Uh, whose eyesight is defective there. See, tonight we'll consider both our own perspective on the world's problems and solutions, but also what Jesus is, Jesus' perspective. But let's start with our own perspective first. It's good to start with what's our perspective of ourselves. If you're really excited, I can put that one back up at the end and you can, people can show each other where to find the other lady. 
Imagine this ladder on the screen is a scale that measures goodness with, you know, the absolutely good, perfect person at the top, the goodness of God, and then the lowest of the low, the scum of the earth at the bottom. And there's 10 rungs on that ladder. I know there's only seven, but there's 10 rungs on that ladder. Where would you put, oh, Robert Downey Jr., Iron Man. Where would you put him on that list? Two? Oh, but he's Iron Man. That should, that should get him a point, shouldn't it? Hmm. Where would you put, oh, this could be controversial. Where would you put the PM, ScoMo? That's one that depends on our perspective a lot, doesn't it? Where would you put yourself on the ladder? Ten being, I've never done a thing wrong in my life. And one being, I've never got anything right in my life. Now, I reckon most people, we probably say, I'm about a seven. I think that's probably the answer that a lot of people would give. I'm not perfect, but who is? Nobody's perfect. But when I compare myself to all the people around me, I can see there's plenty of people who, well, they do things I would never do. So, so therefore, I must be above them on the ladder. So I know I'm not at the top, but, but I'm, you know, I'm top third. I, I'm up there. We all have a sense that there's good and evil, and we all think that we're basically good people. Well, most of us think that, I think. But the question is, when we come to those different perspectives, where would God put me on the ladder? And how good a person am I if God was doing the ranking? Well, if it was me, he'd put me right at the bottom. And I'm sorry to say, he'd do that for each one of us. Now, how can that be? I mean, I just said before, like, there's other people out there in the world that are worse than me. How could it be that we'd all be on the bottom of the ladder when it comes to how good that we are? Well, Jesus says it's because we've misunderstood what goodness is. We've misunderstood what it means to be good. What makes a person good? Maybe I'll give you a minute at the tables just to, just to discuss among yourselves what makes a good person good.
Have we come to any sort of consensus? Anybody willing to share? What makes a good person good? Doing good out of their own time and money? Mm -hmm. Anybody else brave enough to answer? It's okay if you're not. Yep. I reckon you might have heard Jesus answer to this question before, haven't you? Well, that's a good segue into it. When Jesus got asked this question, what makes a good person good? His answer had two parts. This is what it takes. Love your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. Now, when we consider what makes a good person good, we tend to think about that second part, don't we? That loving your neighbour as yourself. We tend not, you know, unless we've heard Jesus' answers on these things before, we tend not to think so much about the God part, about loving God. But Jesus says that that's the heart of the goodness issue, the heart of being good. Something is only ever truly good, whether it's a car, a phone, a friendship. It's only truly good if it does what it was made to do. Now... My phone might be the newest Samsung and it might be, you know, nice and slim and with a nice big screen, but if it doesn't make phone calls and it doesn't connect to the internet, it doesn't matter how impressive the technology is, it's not a good phone. The same with the car. It might have, you know, it might be a Ferrari La Ferrari with, you know, beautiful red paint on the outside and a big rusty bucket under the, uh, under the bonnet. It looks the part, but it, isn't what it's, it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. It's not a good car. Something's good when it works the way that it's meant to. Now, you and I, the people of this world, we are made to relate properly to each other. We're made to love our neighbours as ourselves. We're built for relationships. People don't handle isolation very well. I think a lot of us learned a bit about that last year with the uh, whole COVID lockdowns and all of those things. One of the worst punishments they give to people these days uh, is solitary confinement and being cut off from all human contact. We know that we're designed for relationships. But Jesus says, even more importantly, you're designed to relate properly to God. And just as we start getting sick and going crazy if we're cut off from relationship with other people, things go wrong. We go wrong when we're cut off from that relationship that we're made for with God. We're made to have Him at the centre of our lives. And the perspective of the Bible that Jesus gives is that none of us have loved God with all of our hearts. In fact, Jesus says something else is going on in our hearts. 
Most of us work pretty hard to present pretty well to, so that we come across like a good, decent, moral person. We've got our blemishes, but we've got a good heart. But Jesus calls our bluff. He says, it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All of these evils come from inside and defile a person. Jesus says that all of the things that have gone wrong, or all of the things that we've done wrong in our lives, they don't come from our environment. They don't come from our upbringing, although those things may not help. They come from our hearts. Jesus says that the heart of the, at the heart of the world's problems, the thing that's wrong with the world is our hearts. The core of who we are is not what it was created to be, loving God and loving our neighbour as ourselves. Imagine we've got a guy here skiing along with a GoPro. Those are all the rage these days. Imagine I could put a GoPro not on top of your head, but in your head. And it recorded everything you did, everything you looked at, every word you spoke, but more than that, it could see the silent thoughts inside your head and put words to them. Imagine if it could uncover your, your motivations. And imagine I took all of that footage from this last week and put it on the screen for everyone to see. How would you feel? I'd be running for the door. I wouldn't be able to watch it. I know that I can put on a good show, but there are times when I get things badly, badly wrong. I fail even my own standards of what I know is right and good, let alone God's standards. So the Bible's perspective, uh, which if we're honest, I think we suspect might be a bit true, that we're not always as good as we think we are, then Jesus is right to say that we're, we're not that good. We're far from good. We're far from God. And one day we'll face this God as a judge. So if we've failed God, well, people will think, but God is loving, isn't he? He'll just forgive and forget. That's what God does. He's forgiving. He loves us. Well, God is loving. But he can't simply forgive and forget because he's a God of justice. Now, we understand the importance of justice. You see, in the news of every, like every day, we see people outraged at some miscarriage of justice, about somebody, you know, who, who murdered a family and got five years and a slap on the wrist. And we're outraged. Imagine if a man guilty of murdering a loved one of yours is brought before the court with clear evidence to show their guilt, and the judge says... Well, you know what, I'm a loving, I'm a compassionate guy. I, I'm live and let live, so I'm going to let you go free. Just imagine how outraged we would feel. On what grounds could the judge let the guilty person go free? We want justice done, don't we? We want justice served 
for the evils committed against us. But do we want justice from God? Do we want him to hand out the fitting punishment for the way we've treated him? Because by the standards he told us about, he'd find us guilty. We're at the wrong end of the ladder. We'd be under his judgment. That's what the Bible has to say about humanity, and it's not the prettiest of pictures. And here's God's dilemma. Because he's not very happy about that either. He's not very happy about the idea that each and every one of us needs to be judged, needs to be punished. Because although he is a God of justice, he is also truly a God of love. Faced with our rebellion towards him, he either shows us unjustified mercy or unmerciful justice. God is merciful and will forgive sin. But God is just and must punish sin. So how can he do both at the same time? How can God forgive those who are guilty without denying justice? How can God punish us justly and yet be merciful? I think you can see now why God can't simply just say, forgive and forget. We'll just pretend that never happened. And all the people that have been wronged by all these terrible things in the world will have to pretend it never happened as well. Well, the good news is that God has one solution. He found a solution to the puzzle. God has found a way to solve the problem of our guilt and his desire to forgive, but his need to do justice. God has found a way to extend both justice and mercy. And that way is Jesus. At around the age of 33, Jesus fulfilled his life's mission. He died. That seems like a strange goal to have in life. But that's what he said that he came to do. He was abandoned by his followers. He was rejected by the leaders of his own religion and scorned by his own countrymen. He was condemned to death by a Roman official who knew he wasn't guilty, but thought that the people who hated this guy would riot if he didn't find him guilty. He was whipped by Roman soldiers, not just with like a stock whip, that we have, that you might see, well, not that they really use stock whips anymore these days, but with a whip that has all of these threads to it. This is what they did the flogging with, with little bits of bone or metal tied into the leather straps. These Roman floggings were known to kill people in and of themselves. He was led through the city, carrying this cross, Nails were driven through his hand, uh, his wrists and his feet. He was lifted up on the cross. He would have moved between sagging and standing. The, the torture, the agony of the cross was that they, in the hanging from the hands, the crucified person was not able to breathe 
And so to take every breath, they had to push themselves up on their legs with a spike driven through them to take each breath. As he hung there naked on the cross, not with a nice you know, little loincloth like they show him in all of the artwork, he was spatter, he was ridiculed. It would have been the ultimate shame and it would have been excruciating pain. And yet the Bible tells us there was something far more distressing taking place. Under the surface of enormous physical, emotional and social pain, as he came near to the point of death, he cried out his final words. And these two final words, they, or they tell us two important things about God, about his love and about his justice. These words are recorded for us by Mark in Mark chapter 15, verse 34, in the original language spoken. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Bible tells us that Jesus died God-forsaken. It's a term that speaks of a horrifying separation from God. Like when a precious relationship suddenly ends. The only one who hadn't broken his relationship with God by going his own way had it broken on that cross. The point the Bible is making is that at this moment, God himself was separated from his son. A relationship that had existed in perfect love for all of eternity was shattered. Jesus had been with God since before the beginning. Jesus said he and the Father were one. Yet on the cross, something in the very fabric of God is torn. Why would God do that to his son? To the one who had perfectly followed him. Jesus chose this because of two things, God's love and God's justice. God's justice won't allow him to leave evil unpunished. So in an amazing display of love, God took the punishment for sin on himself in the person of his son, Jesus. It's God's love that satisfies his justice. Now, most people's perspective of Jesus is that he was just a good man, a good teacher who came to show us a better way to live. But that isn't what Jesus understood his own life to be about. Instead, he said this, for the Son of Man, which is a name Jesus often used for himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. A ransom is the price that you pay to rescue someone who's captive who's in a dangerous situation that they can't get out of. The debt we owe God is so great that only an infinitely valuable God is able to pay it on our behalf. Yet it's a debt that only man ought to pay, that humanity should pay because it was our sins. And so this infinitely valuable God becomes a man, Jesus, and dies in the place of guilty humanity.
There's a guy called Paul who became a follower of Jesus. Couldn't stand him to start with until one day he met Jesus. And he said this to explain what happened on that cross. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's a great exchange that when people are united with Jesus, we are brought together those who have a sin, have a debt we can never repay with one who has repaid a debt that he didn't owe. And in God's eyes, when we're brought together, the debt is gone. The debt is dealt with. Jesus has paid it in our place. The things that stood between us and God that broke the relationship with him that meant that we didn't love him as we should, that, that barrier is taken away because the punishment has been paid and no just judge would, call, would ask for a fine to be paid twice. If we are with Jesus, then it's dealt with. As Jesus went to the cross, he takes my sin and your sin on himself, standing in our place. He takes the, the sin off of me, and on him it's dealt with. God pours out his punishment on that sin, with the result being that he was destroyed. He tasted hell itself, that separation from God, and he died. No wonder Jesus cried out in horror at that forsakenness from God. But it was in this that he was demonstrating his love for sinners. God demonstrates his love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Jesus' death affirms what we know to be true. That our guilt is real and it must be punished that we fall short of our own standards, let alone those of God. But it also offers us what we want to be true, that we can breathe the fresh air of forgiveness, that we can be back in relationship with God. Friends, God offers you this amazing gift of forgiveness, but like any gift, it needs to be received. And I will say more about that in the next few weeks of the life series. But I'll leave you with this question. What would stop a person from receiving this gift, from taking up this offer that Jesus has given? It's a pretty beautiful thing, isn't it? Love. And forgiveness and it's an amazing thing to receive but more importantly something that we must give and each day you know we can walk out those doors this morning and then chaos hits it's our world it's the cars it's life it's everything that's going on and it, it can really blur that simple path and i encourage you if you're feeling that it is you just it's foggy you're blurred you just need that centering I encourage you to take that time on your own and just take a moment to sit with God, to talk with him.
He's right there. Put the phone away, all distractions out. We'll go for a walk on one of these beautiful roads that we've got around the place and just take that time to pause and reconnect. And in doing so, you get that beautiful strength to walk that walk and be that vessel for God. Let's pray, folks. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reminder, this teaching and this lesson of something just so pure and simple, a four-letter word of love. And we just take that breath in and just know that you are there and the reassurance of, of your love is always there and unwavering. We thank you for this gift in Jesus, Lord, that you gave us. What a sacrifice. May we walk strong with that, Lord, and be renewed and uplifted to know that we have this joy now to give. We thank you for this blessing of our church and in you. In your name we pray. Amen.